0: Let's take a step back to World War One. I. I know that there are a lot of history buffs out there, but how many of you knew that the Maine National Guard was involved in World War I? And I'm not talking about a minor involvement either. I'm talking about frontline missions fighting side by side with the U.S. allies. Imagine yourself traversing the landscapes of France and stumbling across a cavern that cuts deep into the French earth, only to find that inside those caverns, once housed, American troops from enemy artillery. Imagine yourself turning your flashlight on and exploring that cavern and finding multiple cave painting type murals that were created by the soldiers in World War One. Now imagine studying one of these only to find that it was created by somebody who was from South Brewer, Maine. That's pretty cool, right? On this 28th episode of the Maniac Radio Show, we've invited Captain Bratton, who is the Maine National Guard historian, to come by and share that experience with us. He was invited by the Smithsonian Channel to France to help film a documentary on the soldiers who lived in those caverns during World War One. He's going to share his experience. He's going to give us all of the details, and we're going to squeeze every last bit of information that we can out of them, because this is an awesome and unique opportunity that one of our army counterparts was able to experience. We're going to skip a maniac fact in this episode, as our maniac fact ties into our interview with Captain Bratton. Uh, oh no. Please, please don't cry. John, everything is going to be all right. I'm just going to shut the door real quick. Okay. Okay. I'm Tech Sergeant Andy Sinclair with the 101st Public Affairs Office here in Bangor. We've got a few more things to get to, including a retirement announcement and some other tidbits that you should know about. Master Sergeant Heather Johnson has some good information that she wants to pass on to you, so I've got a recording of that as well. Make sure the information you hear gets passed on to your coworkers. That is our overall goal with this podcast, after all, to disseminate information to keep you well-informed. So with that being said, I'm going to play the tape that has the recording with Master Sergeant Johnson. Make sure you listen to what she has to say.
1: My name is Heather Johnson. I'm here to talk about the Drug Demand Reduction Program. So the program is here so that we can enhance the mission readiness and foster a drug-free environment for our members here. Uh, Also with that, it deters military members from using illegal substances or abusing any type of controlled substance. As well as a deterrence program, we end up detecting at some times or identifying those individuals who may be using or abusing Uh, illegal substances, and then it's also available to provide a basis for action against a service member who tests positive for an illegal drug use. I'd like to take a moment and talk about the medical review officer process. So anytime a service member comes up positive for what I like to call a potential prescription uh, medication positive, our medical review officers who are located down in the clinic building 423 are responsible for reviewing uh, the member's medical file, any dental records, any prescription drugs, any pharmacy documentation to try to determine if that positive result does coincide with the medical documentation that's there. So it's really, really important that the service member keeps their medical documents up to date down in the clinic Uh, Anytime a member is on a prescription medication that they're required to take all the time, it's good to have at least a one-year subscription or prescription documentation down at the clinic so that when a person potentially comes up positive for whatever it is they may be taking, the medical review officer has those documents in hand in their file, and they can make that determination right then and there. If the documentation is not up-to-date or is missing from the service member's medical file, uh, that's when the commander gets involved, the commander will meet with the service member. Uh, They're given 30 days to bring forth any type of medical documentation that may deem necessary to try to close out that case make the program easier would be best if the service member does keep their their documents up to date in their file. The members can bring forth any documentation over a drill weekend and drop that off uh, in the main office. I believe the clinic also allows you to fax any documentation that you have or you can mail it in um, but basically having the service member you know walk it in is fine over a drill weekend you know if if they had some form of medical procedure you know during the month if they're a traditional you know and had a wisdom t- tooth pulled and were prescribed a certain medication for pain just remember to bring that documentation in and have it in their file just in case you know they're they're selected randomly for the urinalysis program they have their their documents there for the MRO to review if they come up positive for that particular substance So I also wanted to talk a little bit today about the Takeaway Program, which is a program that the Department of Defense initiated in terms of making sure we take care of any unused or unwanted medical prescriptions uh, so we don't have them lying around or they're not disposed of in a non-safe way. So there's takeaway bags down in the clinic building 423 as soon as you walk in the front door. The goal of the program is a service member takes one of those bags, puts their unwanted or unused medication inside of that bag, seals it, takes it down to the United States Postal Service, drops it off, and it's shipped away and destroyed of free of charge to the service member. I'm available if anyone has any questions. I've I've been doing the program a long time. I'm more than happy to, to answer any questions anyone may have.
0: Thank you, Sergeant Johnson, for that information. Again, make sure you pass that on to your coworkers and the fellow airmen that you work with because knowledge is power. Does that sound like a PBS commercial or what? But it works, knowledge is power. Keep that in mind. So Chief Master Sergeant Mike Emery is retiring this weekend. He's had a long standing history with the Maine National Guard. If you see him around, make sure you stop him and congratulate him. Congratulations, Chief. I hope retirement brings you more time with your family and more time with that boat of yours. Also, congratulations to Master Sergeant Eric Cole. Sergeant Cole was just recently promoted to Master Sergeant. So if you see him around, make sure you congratulate him. He is by far one of the hardest working NCOs I've ever seen. And as you all know, this extra stripe means extra responsibility. I have no doubt in my mind that Master Sergeant Cole will meet those responsibilities head on. So congratulations to you. Speaking of passing information on to your coworkers, Senior Master Sergeant Nate Anaya over in the safety office recently sent out an email that could help you and those around you make sound decisions when you're out on the town. The wing developed a program a couple of years ago that allows maniacs to get home safely if they've had too much to drink with no charge to the airmen and the steps being completely anonymous, anonymous, anonymous there we go, anonymous. The steps being completely anonymous, you can get home safely by calling the command post and they're gonna set you up with a free ride home. The email that Senior Master Sergeant sent out recently is just one more way that you can remain safe and plan your night accordingly. In the email, he talks about different beers, different types of beers can affect you based on their alcohol content. Not all beers are created equal, especially if you're gauging a light beer to a microbrew. So your blood alcohol content may be able to handle three beers by a certain company when it can't handle one from another company, meaning some beers will affect you differently especially once you get behind that wheel. Take a look at the email, read what he has to say, pass that information on to those around you and not just the people that you work with, pass it on to your family and friends as well. It's a great guide and it's a way to keep you safe and could potentially be a roadblock from you making a poor decision and deciding to drive home after having too much. So give it a look and please consider what he has to say carefully, that is all. It looks like Captain Bratton is here now, so let's bring him in and have him share his story. Okay, so with us today is Captain Bratton. He is the Command Historian for the Maine National Guard, both Army and Air. He's from JFHQ. He's here today to talk to us about an experience that he underwent where he was involved with a documentary that was aired on the Smithsonian Channel. Captain Bratton, thank you for coming in.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be able to come up to the wing. So we heard this story. and I, I
0: honestly, I don't even remember who I originally heard it from. It may have been from Senior Duplaine, but I, I can't remember. But um, so, kind of walk me uh, step by step on how you got involved with this whole process.
2: sort of path to a documentary is kind of weird. Um... I uh, was been doing a lot of research on Maine in World War One, and uh, I got a call one day from this writer. He's like, oh, "I'm working on a documentary. Uh, we found some names in these K ca- in these like caverns in France. Uh, do you have any idea about the unit? It's called the 103rd U.S. Infantry." I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's Maine's National Guard unit in World War One. What do you want to know about them? And he goes, "Oh, well, uh, I want to find out more information about what they did, and we have got these names. Can you look them up and find service records?" And so I started helping him out. And, uh, the process went on over a couple months. And then finally one day he calls, he's like, yeah, we're, uh, we're looking to actually go over to France to, uh, to record this documentary. Um, you wouldn't happen to have any interest in going, would you? I'm like, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> obviously yeah. France. So, um, yeah, I and mean, sort of to make a long story short, it happened, uh, it was literally just a cold call of somebody looking for, uh, for information and it turned into, um, probably one of the most remarkable experiences of my career, uh, easily actually, the <laughs> most remarkable.
0: So when you got over there, what were you actually doing?
2: So we got over there, and the general so the general premise of this whole thing is that there are these caverns underground, they're old quarries, uh, limestone quarries, that have been quarried away since like the 1500s, so like the Middle Ages, and they go way, 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 way back underground like uh, we were wandering around for like eight or nine kilometers at least and um, during world war one they're like purpose-built shelters because of course during world war one the biggest biggest problem is artillery and you know thanks guys with the air force uh aviation you know avi is birth of aviation so now you've got direct observation provided by um by airplanes coordinating artillery and so anybody who's on the surface does not want to be there it's a really inhospitable place uh so these quarries which are all over france uh, serve as these ready-made underground shelters and they would build like underground cities so fully electrically lit um with uh, a a underground like narrow gauge railroad servicing the whole thing um it's pretty amazing and uh our main troops so the 103rd us infantry they get to france in 1917 and they go into the front lines in uh february of 1918 so just about uh one year ago or i'm sorry a hundred years ago Mm -hmm. from uh from now and um Naturally, with main soldiers, as anybody who has ever seen a Maniac sticker placed pretty much everywhere you go on this planet, I mean, like... I can't think of a, uh, a facility I've been to that hasn't had a Maniac sticker and lots of civilian places that have them that-
0: Probably shouldn't have stickers on them.
2: No, but it's, ama- it's, it's amazing that like you go someplace and you're like, oh wow, Maniac has been here at some point, this is awesome. Uh, so they're underground and they're experiencing the front lines for the first time, you know, shelling and seeing airplanes, seeing air combat, uh, being in, in combat themselves for the first times, and then they come away to the support position where they're underground And whether it's like this mixture of boredom or a desire to leave a message behind, these guys start carving their names, their hometowns, their uh, pictures of uh, U S flags or U S insignia, like little mementos of either home or or our national origin on the walls of these caves. And because it's underground where no weather really reaches it, they've been sitting there for a hundred years, virtually untouched. Um, so imagine it's like completely pitch black out and you're walking, you're like, we're walking along and I'm like, man, this is, if we get lost, this is how horror movies begin. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Um, and then we got our little flashlights and we finally hit this light on the wall and there's this amazing shield like this, uh, uh, it looks like the um it's like a the American flag with stars on top and below it it says mechan- mechanic mechanic Ardine South Brewer Maine and we're in the middle of France yeah. and it's just absolutely insane and so we find all these things uh, underground and then the next task um was really trying to identify so who were these guys who who left their their mark underground and so that was the uh, there, there was a really cool aspect of filming in France um, because it's France. Right. <laughs> and also because uh, we in the U.S. have really forgotten World War One. We don't think about it that much. Um, we should. Uh, this, is, this is my public, my PSA right now. Think about World War One. learn about it. Right. Um, because it informs so much of the world today and what we do, especially in the Army and, uh, and Air Guard. Um, and uh, But in France, they have a much more immediate way of remembering it so i mean they were they were occupied for four years they were fighting they had you know millions of casualties of killed wounded and missing like by way of sort of illustrating how they remember it we were filming and, uh, we'd come out of the caves and we're in this, the caves are in this like farmer's field. So, uh, we came out sort of for some air and to eat lunch, take a break and being a farmer's field, some other farmer saw us and are like, what are all these vans doing? And, uh, they come over and like, I don't speak a word of French. I'm there with, um, uh, my counterpart from Massachusetts, National Guard, Brigadier General Len Kondrachuk. And, uh, they see our uniforms and they just start talking really, really, really quickly in French. And we're like, well, "What do they say?" Something's about to go down. Right? Yeah. Somebody, where's their interpreter? Right. And uh, we ask the interpreter what what they're saying, and they're like, "Well, they're thanking you for World War One and World War Two.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool.
2: You're like, "Wow, yeah, this is really heavy moment." Right? <laughs> like, right, uh, right? That wasn't me. Yeah, uh, you know. Right? Um, but it was it was really neat to show how. The war really impacted them that much, and how much they remembered our involvement. Um, so that was really amazing. Uh, looking at like a legacy of service of a hundred years of of main Guard experience, really just summed up in in a few moments like that. Uh, and then the other aspect was tracing down family members. So um, I don't know how it is in the Air Guard, but in the in the Army Guard, like our service goes by family. So, like, people from the same family will continuously, like, serve through generations. Um, And so, like, you could trace these guys who carved their names on the walls. Like, they stayed in the Guard, like, after the war. And, like, some of them were in World War II in the Guard. And, like, you'd find newspaper articles and stuff. We managed to track down uh, a bunch of family members still in Maine, some living outside Maine. So, it's really... Wild experience.
0: When you contacted those those family members that are still in, um, were you a part of that process as well?
2: Yeah. Um, the biggest one, um, we took a we took a little bit of a chance because we found some um, carvings that had no names on them, but they looked like they were American Indian uh, origin, so definitely like Native American headdress, a birch bark canoe, things like that. And they were like, well, you know, were there any uh, American Indians here? And I was like, uh, you know, let me take a look. Um, and I'd done some research prior to, and I knew that there were um, Passamaquoddy who were serving in company I out of, uh, the company out of Eastport. I was like, well, it might be worth a chance. So we we took a trip up to um, to uh, Indian Township and uh, we sat down with uh, their tribal historian and they were looking at it and they're like, yep this is definitely stuff that like it, it fits the pattern of the, the kind of carvings that that have been done by the Passamaquoddy for hundreds and hundreds of years. So kind of fitting that piece together was was pretty amazing, especially because to my knowledge, those are the only American Indian markings like cave markings in Europe. Um, so that was that that in itself was pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so what were their what were their reactions to that? I mean, you were obviously excited, it. But-
2: yeah, they were—they were very, very excited. Um, th- we we timed it to go with their—I um, think their uh, celebration for the veterans in their community. So they had a whole bunch of uh, Passamaquoddy veterans up there. One of our own main guardsmen was there, um, and one of the things we did, which was really uh, emotional, now. When the Passamaquoddy came back from World War One, they weren't American citizens, they weren't Maine citizens, so they didn't really get any recognition, um, which was highly unfortunate. And so I worked with the Maine Bureau of Veteran Services to um, get their family members of the Passamaquoddy who had been killed and wounded in action. There were four who were wounded and two had been killed in action, uh, the Gold and Silver Stars for BVS. Um, and then we had a ceremony to present that. So that was highly emotional um, for both the families to get closure. And then on my side to actually come face-to-face with like the children of some of these. Um, I mean, the, the Passamaquoddy is um, the tribal governor's son was actually killed in action on the last day. Uh, the the last full day of the war, November tenth, nineteen eighteen. So it was uh, a really amazing co- contribution from the Passamaquoddy, a huge show of patriotism, and then uh, and then that that action that we were able to to provide some type of closure. I know it it doesn't go all the way, but in, in some sense it helps close the loop on that a little bit. Uh, was was pretty incredible, and also showing how diverse the service is from our state. Yeah, that's awesome. It's not just another day in the office. Yeah, a lot of people ask, like, what do you do? I go, well, I, I, most of my time is researching and sitting in the office going over files. And occasionally I get to go out and do some really incredible stuff and meet amazing people and look at the legacy of service that's across the state, which is um really remarkable for how small our state is to the amount of impact that our service members have uh, going back, like I said, hundreds of years. Um, we've got you know, on the Army side, we go back to like 1760 for our, our earliest unit. Um, and then, I mean, even on the air side, our which is just like I said, the maniacs, like the everyone knows who the 101st air refueling wing is like there's there's no secret about that in the army yeah. or our army and uh, Air Force
0: was the whole documentary filmed in France at that particular location or was it did they bounce around
2: the kind of the cool thing was I got to see how a documentary is made from start to finish and it really kind of messed with my head a little bit because there's a lot of Acting that's involved mainly because of how the sequence things are done
0: like the reenactments
2: well there's reenactments but it's also filmed out of sequence so our first filming was done in france um that was in like uh may i think um so we did five days on the ground in france filmed a bunch of stuff and then we came back and then the next month we filmed a segment in massachusetts that was supposed to be like the preliminary so we had to pretend that we hadn't been to France yet <laughs> um and then uh and then we went up to uh we did some filming in Augusta and we did some filming up at Indian Township um but the sequence yeah the sequence of it all was weird especially the Massachusetts filming to just like pretend we hadn't already been over to see everything that uh that they were talking about so
0: it's cool to sit back and hear all this because you know you're talking about something that that you wouldn't have been a part of unless you had joined the Maine National Guard with oh, yeah. so it's something, it's one of those unique and cool stories that people don't normally hear about that that's really cool. So the, the fact that you got to experience that is, is, is awesome.
2: Yeah, the uh, the career field of uh, Army or Air Force or all of the services have historians. It's definitely one of the hidden secrets. I Whenever I talk at a school, I ask, you know, are there any history majors? Does anyone want to be a history major? And uh, like one or two people will raise their hand. And So yeah, the, uh, the National Guards afforded me a huge opportunity to be able to work with uh, amazing people go incredible places. You know, I did, I do the, have a all expenses paid trip to Afghanistan. So
0: that's that pretty was, cool. That was fun. Nice warm place. Right. Uh, last question. So what was your biggest takeaway in your whole experience?
2: Uh, biggest takeaway, um, that one's tough because I'm torn between, uh, the realization of how much world war one and our specifically our involvement in world war one really impacts the French people and how grateful they are for it. And also, um, my sort of discovering that uh, the service of, of Mainers goes so far and so deep. Um, doing all the research on Mainers in World War I, I realized that looking at their careers, a lot of them after the war, um, they would go into politics or community leadership positions or guard leadership positions. And those are all like our future leaders like that took us, that led us through the World War II time period. So um, the governor of Maine during World War II was Sumner Sewell. He was a fighter ace from World War I. That's pretty cool. He shot down four or five enemy aircraft, Two balloons, and then captured one plane on the ground. Literally forced it down, and
0: was that all he did?
2: That's all he did. But like can you imagine being the governor and like talking to the legislature, and be like, I, I'm an ace. Come yeah, on. no
0: big deal. Right. Yeah. I just flew
2: around in like this this plywood contraption with paper and the machine guns on it. The life
0: expectancy was pretty low back right, then too. Right.
2: Right. But like just discovering. This amazing, these amazing stories of service all across our state and uh, in our guard that I did not know about before. So I think that's my biggest takeaway that drives me to try to spread that story around the state as well and get people excited and interested about World War One, and see how it really impacts our own lives today.
0: There's a term in the Air Force that we like to use, we call mm-hmm. it re Maybe this whole situation was a re-greening experience, right?
2: Definitely, yeah.
0: I want to thank you again for coming in taking your time to do this I'm driving all the way from Augusta to do a 20-minute interview, but um, uh, thanks again. Is there anything you had to
2: add? No, thanks for having me up here. Uh, like I say, I like to come up to the wing and see all the, all the cool aircraft craft which are always confusing and awe-inspiring to army people <laughs> well thanks again captain appreciate it
0: that is all we have for this episode of the maniac radio show hopefully that interview didn't go on for too long and lose your interest but i thought it was pretty interesting I want to thank Captain Bratton again for coming in and sharing his unique experience with all of us. Way to represent the Maine National Guard. A quick plug in for this year's upcoming deployers. If you're a full time technician and you have questions about anything deployment related, contact Sergeant Mishu down in personnel. She is the expert. Every time I talk to her, she has an answer. And if she doesn't have it immediately, she finds it out and she gets back to me almost immediately. She's great to work with and she's very knowledgeable. So if you have any questions, contact her. Speaking of deployments, let's take this time to thank everybody down in supply for all of the hard work they've been doing to get everybody ready who's heading out. We know it's not easy. And I think their job is one of those career fields, kind of like contracting, where there's a lot that goes on that we don't see where they're working overtime and they're putting in 110% to make sure their mission gets completed. So on behalf of everybody here, a huge thank you to the supply office. You guys are awesome. That's it. That's all the information that I have for this episode of the Maniac Radio Show. I'm your host, Tech Sergeant Andy Sinclair with the 101st Public Affairs Office here in Bangor. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. Thank you again to Captain Bratton for coming up. We've kind of been playing phone tag over the last couple of months to try and get him up here to talk about it. So we're very happy that we were able to finally pull the trigger and get him up here to share his story. As always, if you have ideas for the Maniac Radio Show, don't hold back. Shoot me an email or give me a call. Also, be sure to head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages by searching 101STARW. And be sure to check out the Vice Wing Commander's official Facebook and Instagram pages by searching CV.101ARW. Hope to see you all around this weekend. And remember, give hugs, not drugs. Don't drink and drive and stay awesome. So long.